Welcome to the Advanced Relationship Podcast. After 13 years as a marriage and family therapist and relationship coach, I'm here to answer your questions and teach you what I know about the great masculine and feminine dance and how you can create the most intimate, loving, and powerful relationships on the planet. Welcome to the Advanced Relationship Podcast. Today I am here with my handsome husband, Bryce. Thanks for the intro, John. You're welcome. It's good to be here. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about core differences. And this is a topic that I heard about years ago from a man named Brent Atkinson at the Couples Clinic. So before we dive into core differences and talk a little bit about the specific difference we're going to be discussing today, we will just go over our announcements first. And Bryce, anything you want to announce today? Yeah, I got one more spot in both of the men's groups that I run. We might also start another one, but yeah, if you have a man in your life, if you're a man who is interested in more connection to other men, going deeper, doing meditation, connecting, accountability, this could be the group for you. Yeah, very cool. And it's been cool. I've been watching Bryce run these men's groups now for a while. And they're mostly men, what, in their 30s, 40s, even 50s, professional men. Yeah, 30 to 55. 30 to 55, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just really cool to watch you because after the groups, I always see how lit up you are and how much you love seeing these men have a place to, like, go deeper and talk about emotional stuff with other men. And it's really powerful to watch. Totally. Yeah, many, many men do not have anything like this, so it's... I get a lot of good feedback that they're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, and then, so if you're interested in the men's group, you go to BryceBauer.com. Yep. And if you're interested in getting more support, if you want individual coaching or relationship coaching for yourself or for your relationship, go to AdvancedRelationshipAcademy.com. You can find access there to both Bryce and I. You can set up a coaching session with either one of us. And so, yeah, if you want more support, Go check that out. And other than that, if you're interested in joining the Facebook group, go to Facebook and search Advanced Relationship Podcast Community and request to join. And we are in that community daily, sharing relationship inspiration, ideas, um, asking questions, starting conversations, answering questions of others who post. So it's a great it's a great place to just stay connected to deep relational work on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so I think that's it for me. Anything else for you, Bryce? That's it. Okay. So um, core differences. Like I said, this is something I came upon years ago. Brent Atkinson, who runs, I believe it's called the Couples Clinic, and I don't know if they're still in business or not. I haven't Googled them or looked them up for a long time. But they had done a bunch of research on couples, and what they found is that there are some main core, common core differences that couples have. And John Gottman talks a little bit about this in his research as well. John Gottman talks about it in terms of what he calls gridlocks. And he talks about how there are certain differences in a couple that will never go away. It doesn't matter how much you talk about them, they're always going to be there. And they can cause what are called gridlocks, where it feels like a lose-lose, it feels like you can't get through it, and they can just be really discouraging places to get stuck. So 
Brent Atkinson and his clinic divided up very specifically what they saw these core differences to be based on the research they had done with couples. There are five main core differences, and I think what we'll probably do is a series of core differences. It may not go in order, so um, but ultimately I'd like to get through all five. So just kind of be on the lookout in the future for these episodes on core differences. Yeah, and Jenny and I are lucky enough to be on opposite ends with pretty much all these, at least in some degree. So we're perfect partners to try to come together and balance out. So if you're like, man, my, me and my partner are also really different. I mean, here we are. We're yeah. very different people. So it really is possible to work through core differences. Mm-hmm. And it can make it feel more complex at times. It can make it feel more difficult And it's also a really great opportunity to grow and balance and increase your capacity, ultimately to engage in both sides of the polarity. When Brent Atkinson talks about core differences, there's a few things about it that are important to understand. So I wanna dive in first before we dive into the specific core difference we'll be talking about today. I wanted to just acknowledge a couple of things that he says about core differences in general. One thing he talks about is that It's not a problem to have a core difference. That's not the problem. The problem is when one or both of you believes that your way of doing things is better or more superior. Mm -hmm. So he talks about how couples will often come in and they'll actually give philosophical reasons why their approach is better. They will discuss the research that shows why their approach is better. And again, there's nothing wrong with validating your side because it is valid. But at the expense of your partner's side, it's going to end up not feeling good. So ultimately, the idea is that neither way of approaching life is better or worse. They're both valid, and there's, both, and there's reasons for each to exist. The couples who have the most success working through core differences are the couples who are willing to question their own assumptions about the way they do things. And they're willing to question when they're believing it's the only way or the only right way. Now, the other thing that I would say also is important with core differences, which is kind of the flip side of that, is the other thing that makes couples successful is that both people really do need to stand up for their position as well. So if only one person stands up for their position and the other one is always collapsing and never really asking for their Mm -hmm. needs to get met or never asserting their life experience and their perspective and their way, then it's going to end up feeling really imbalanced and not good. Right. And this also feeds into our philosophy that a relationship really can't go too much deeper unless you have conflicts Mm -hmm. on these with these core issues. And Mm -hmm. both people are really able to stand up in a respectful way and an efficient way Mm -hmm. and work through these differences. Exactly. Yep. So when we're talking conflict, we're not talking that it has to be aggressive or unkind or disrespectful we're talking about just the energy that comes up when it's difficult, when it's complex, and when each person needs to stand up for something. Cool. So oh, one other thing that's important about core differences to understand is that Brent Atkinson also talks about that these core differences aren't just, they're not just like decisions we make. Like, I'm going to be this type of person. It's not like a conscious choice. They're actually hoping strategies that get built Usually when we're younger, they start becoming built. It's like a way of navigating life that helps you to deal with anxiety. It helps you to deal with complexity of life. So it's not like Bryce and I's differences are just, he likes vanilla ice cream and I like chocolate ice cream. 
It's ooh, like when we bump up against these differences, that's the thing that actually makes him feel more calm and stable and okay. Where my, what makes me feel more calm and stable and okay might be just the opposite. Right. So it's not so much about preference as it is about wiring, how your nervous system is wired, your attachment style. This goes way deeper than just something you can choose to switch on or off. So if you're trying to get someone to change, you just it's good to know what you're up against, which is really a whole person's being. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really tough to change a person's nervous system, but you really can learn to work with your partner's history and nervous system. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's popping up for me as Bryce is saying that is the benefit of being in a relationship where there are differences because... When you learn how to utilize both sides of each of these core differences, you actually grow in your own capacity individually. When you get stressed, you're not necessarily going to feel like you have much choice. Your strategy is going to come forward and really assert itself. But over time, if you can learn how to tolerate and navigate both sides, you suddenly start to open up possibility in your life because you start to have more choice. You can lean on both sides depending on the situation and what really works better. And you can kind of navigate the equation of how, what percentage do we do this? What percentage do we do this way? And you can kind of navigate it based on the circumstance and the situation. And it just becomes really useful when you can utilize both sides. Right. And I'm thinking about even moving to the place in which you're grateful for your partner's differences because they allow you to grow. I'm thinking about structure versus spontaneity in different ways that this plays out. Like if you're only rigid, you'll continually become more rigid if you have no polarity there and too much rigidness leads to dysfunction and vice versa. If you're totally spontaneous and you want your partner to just be spontaneous, that can lead you into dysfunction. So you need both pulling and pushing against each other to remain balanced. Okay, so should we dive into today's difference? Okay, so the first one that they talk about in their work is independence first versus togetherness first. And they use the phrase first, meaning when you're stressed, this is the first place that you're going to go. Bryce, do you want to read the independence first? Yeah, so this is where I lean way more heavily. Mm -hmm. So independence first, often prefer to engage in activities and tasks independently. Each partner mostly assumes responsibility for meeting their own needs and completing their own tasks. Rather than assuming responsibility for anticipating each other's needs, Each partner expects the other to speak up when they need something. It's interesting, you know, I can actually notice the, like, the agreeing kind of happening. Like, oh, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I can see that, too. So the dream for the independence first person is not having to worry about inadvertently hurting someone by one's inattentiveness, not being responsible for someone else's happiness. Also, an independence first person is going to have a fear of accepting influence from their partner if they're togetherness first. And that might look like I'll spend my whole life meeting my partner's needs and I'll be neglected. Their critical stance is you want me to read your mind. You expect too much. Just notice if you say these things or think these things. You're too needy. You want me to do things for you that you're perfectly capable of doing yourself. You're too needy. Awesome. Okay, so the togetherness first person, which is more often where I lie in our relationship, is a togetherness first person will often prefer to engage in activities and tasks together. Each partner counts on help from the other in completing tasks or shouldering burdens. 
and each partner anticipates the needs of the other and attempts to meet them without having to be asked. A togetherness first person has the dream that their partner is going to take their feelings into consideration without having to demand it. And there's a, the dream is a feeling of companionship and never having to be alone. The fear of accepting influence from an independence first person is that I'll feel like I'm in this world alone. There will be nobody looking out for me but myself. I've got no backup and I'm on my own. And their critical stance of someone who's an independence first person is that you live in your own little world, you're self-centered or selfish. Any moron would have realized that I needed help. I shouldn't have to ask. Okay, so that gives you a summary of the independence first and the togetherness first. And now we're just gonna dive in and we're gonna talk more about our own experience and how we see this play out with other couples and just get a little bit more personal. Anything popping up for you, Bryce? Well, I think this wiring gets mapped out early on in life. Like I'm thinking about myself and how being a a daddy's boy, having a pretty masculine upbringing, I was always kind of taught, like learn how to do things on your own, then you're capable, you know, not needing someone else's help. Like my parents in, in certain cases, I'd get a lot of praise for that. The more independent I was, the more praise I got. And then moving all the way into high school and early adulthood, when I was able to go off on my own, and get a job. I moved out of state and I supported myself. That's how I learned to relax my nervous system is the more that I can take care of myself, the more safe that I feel. And so going into a relationship without much awareness, I just assume that my partner should do the same. Like that's how life should work. That's how I've been trained to think. So you take care of you, I take care of me, and then we'll come together when we choose to, but we don't have to take care of each other's needs or read each other's minds or think about each other really at all. So there's like no pressure there. So I can relax. But of course, what happens is in a relationship, you really do have to collaborate. And often I draw on partners who wanted to be more together first. And so we we clash a lot. And, and I'd get this feedback continuously. Of course, I didn't really listen to it as much until now being with Jenny, where we're I'm really trying to work this out, but I dismiss them. They're they're too needy. They want too much. They're high maintenance. And there'd be just endless circular conflict around this this core issue. It's like, do we take care of ourselves first or do we look at the relationship first? Mm -hmm. I think there really is a core difference here, which is with independence first, there's very much a you take care of you, I take care of me. Togetherness first isn't just about like, let's do it together. It's really about anticipating each other's needs. It's about being so aware of each other that you're kind of one step ahead. And so I could really see that being difficult, you know? Yeah, because without practice, considering someone else is just another thing on my plate and it's easy to feel overwhelmed. So when you come in and you say something to the effect of, or there's a message that hey, like, why didn't you think of me? Or how about we do this together? Instead of me feeling less pressure or more relaxed, knowing that now I have some help, I'm thinking about it through the lens of like, now I have to manage whatever you want in your opinion. And what if you don't do it the way I want to do it? There's just a much different perspective here than maybe you have on it. Mm -hmm. And that's just naturally where I go. It's going to be harder with more people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this even shows up in just little ways like yesterday you decided to cook lunch for us and we had been out hiking in the morning and I was like, oh, that feels so nice. I'll just sit on the couch and relax while you cook. 
So I sat down, but then immediately there was like this urge to get up and like help and like anticipate what you needed and fix it. And you said something about, oh, it's just so hard for you to resist like jumping in, huh? Right. (laughs) Which really I think comes from this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want you to be cooking alone. Like I can cook with you and I can help anticipate your needs and clean the dishes as you go or. Yeah, because that's a bit of the irony is like when we're both in our zones, like sometimes this isn't all the time, but sometimes when you let me take control of like cooking or a project and you just relax, I actually feel more relaxed Mm -hmm. and it might be tougher on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to to not do something. Yes. Yeah, it sounds it sounds nice to relax, but my nervous system is so wired to quote help that if I see someone, especially my primary attachment figure in the kitchen doing something for me, my practice is to allow that space. It's to breathe through the, my anxiety of not helping, give myself space to just be. Yeah, and and by the same token, like I see if we're doing things together, like building our patio. I think you're maybe looking at this like, hey, we're doing it together. We can do way more. You do, Here's your job. Here's my job. It'll go faster. It'll be fun. I'm like feeling stressed mm-hmm. that like maybe you want it done a certain way or you want there to be this sequence of jobs that are being done. Mm-hmm. Together, actually. Together. Together. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the act of collaborating, it seems like it relaxes you and it's fun for you versus like it's actually pretty tough for me mm-hmm. sometimes yes mm-hmm. and it's just really helpful to know that hopefully for everyone listening it's helpful to know that this really can be a core difference and you might be with a partner that this is not a core difference you may both be independence first people you may both be togetherness first people and there's a benefit to that too in terms of at times the ease that can come from that So whether you're different or similar, can you keep finding at times when the conflicts do arise, can you find that middle ground so that you both get a chance to practice the side that you're not as used to and develop that part of yourself? Yeah, because I'm thinking about like me really understanding you and and I'm in the kitchen and you're relaxing, but then you want to come in and help. And instead of being like, judging you and being like Jenny just relax sit down leave me alone I got this my way is better than yours and I'm not understanding you I think I came in more with like hey Jen is it kind of tough to just relax right now and and I think you kind of laughed because mm-hmm. you're just being seen in that and I was like yeah you can you know if you really want to go relax and maybe mm-hmm. you can do the dishes or something if you want mm-hmm. after lunch yeah yeah Yeah, and that did. It just gave me a chance to laugh at that, what feels a bit neurotic at times, that part in me, and to be able to say, oh, I actually do want to be able to have times where Bryce can just do something or I can just do something. And so there's a desire there to actually be able to develop that independent side as well and to let myself take time for just me. And one thing I was reading that Brent Atkinson talks about in his sequence of how to deal with conflict was really giving your partner the benefit of the doubt because it might be easy for me to say Jenny is just coming in here she's trying to screw up everything that I'm doing 
and she's not paying attention to me instead of giving the benefit of the doubt that actually what she's trying to do is is help Mm -hmm. or you to me actually look bryce is trying to do something nice for me here Mm -hmm. and and even telling me to like hey you can relax is kind of my way of really trying to treat you Mm -hmm. to some food Mm -hmm. and i like that when you said acknowledging that jenny's just trying to help because sometimes that's what i need when i'm kind of in that space sometimes what helps relax me is when bryce is able to see that and say oh i I can see you're trying to help here. Yeah. And dot, dot, dot. And I I would love to see you just relax. And I would love to just take care of this one. Yeah. To me, I think when you can say, oh, thank, like really like appreciate me. Like it looks like you're really trying to take it all on here and do something nice for us. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, like you're seeing me. That feels really good for you. Yeah. I love that because I can see that's really true. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see the different ways that we care about each other and love each other. And even if it is directed some by how our nervous system regulates, I'm like, oh, it's really beautiful that that love comes through there. Yeah. And I think that there, there'll be a correlation between how much I'm able to really understand myself and how much compassion I'm able to give you about your way. Because mm-hmm. when I'm really able to understand myself and bring compassion in, that'll relax me and then I won't be as triggered by your way of being. Mm-hmm. But I if I'm already anxious too. in my way, like whatever you're doing is going to look like a threat. Mm-hmm. I'm already in my threat response. Mm-hmm. The lens is like anything coming in is a threat. So I think one of the benefits for me of developing the independence first side more in my relationship with Bryce is that I just I feel like I'm able to show up in our relationship as, as a stronger individual. So I feel like I'm able to still do things together with Bryce and enjoy that and love it. But I'm also, I don't feel like I need to collapse parts of me that are different or parts of me that are independent. So that's actually been one thing that's been helpful, I think, in the practice of this in our relationship for me. Yeah, I'm thinking about your ability to use your own compass because if you were just all together first, you might tend to just go along with what I'm wanting, what I'm doing, and then feel a bit off. Mm-hmm. versus trusting your yourself, your independence, your own autonomy that like you know what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it really is an important part and aspect of a relationship to help maintain a good differentiation because that seems really true for me that when I'm able to integrate the independence side with my desire for togetherness, I'm able to stay differentiated, which is important. Yeah, and this is a good point because when we talk about intimacy, a lot of times I think people think about it as just togetherness, but it's the balance of togetherness and separateness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Differentiation and connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about the the benefits for me of learning how to work more together. And it's kind of an easy one to pinpoint is just like that I can get, I can accomplish more when I can collaborate. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of know about how much I can do on my own, but I think I'm at risk, you know, if I don't really learn to collaborate, I'm at risk of like always doing things on my own mm-hmm. and not asking for help. And I just know that that I can go farther in my life with the help of other people. Mm-hmm. And especially in a primary partnership where that's like such a big part of my life being with you and like how we can grow a business and how we can create a family and how we can you can help me experience other sides of myself that I just can't really get to on my own. Mm-hmm. So being able to integrate the two just seems so important. What's popping up for me as I'm sitting with it right now is, oh, it can feel really complex at times. 
Yeah, there are some sweet moments when it feels like we're in flow, but I mean, probably the majority of the time is we're either a bit misattuned or we're like trying to reattune. Probably most of the work is like moving into trying to get into a flow Mm -hmm. versus like the small percentage of time that we are in the flow. Yeah, that reminds me of a good friend that I have who's who's an artist and a well-known artist. I mean, he that's what he does day after day is paint and sells his work. And one of the things he talked about when I spoke with him one day is that, you know, he would find himself in that artist flow maybe once or twice a month. And the rest of the days he would just do the work. And that can be really how it can feel at times. Right. And I think I'm almost thinking about the frame of learning how to flow while in the process of trying to get into flow. Yeah. Because that is so much of the work, right? Like whether or not you're in the flow every day, the work you're doing when you're not feeling totally attuned or the work you're doing to get reconnected, all of that can get you where you want to go. I mean, all those days that my friend is painting, he still sells those paintings. It makes for his livelihood, even if he's not always in the flow. Yeah, there are definite deal breakers in there. And one is like just really giving up on the whole project. Mm-hmm. And another one is is contempt for the other person. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one especially I have to really work on tracking because... It's easy, I think, for me to start to resent this other way of being because it looks so counterintuitive to the way that I know how to do things. And I don't know if this is exclusive to an independence first type of personality like mine, but just togetherness and connection can seem so threatening. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some pretty gnarly breakups to where I'm like it's reinforced this independence first is better because ultimately it's going to end in this like really crazy thing and the more connection that we had going into it the more it's going to hurt so it it is a self-protective strategy to to stay more independent and it is a ton of work for me to lean into it more and and yeah there's there's more at stake and there's more on the line Mm -hmm. I could see that it in a way it increases the sense of vulnerability to allow yourself to be dependent on another person to help see your needs and meet them. Yeah, and, and it's everyone's call on how you want to play this, but I mean, it is it is a bit like I can only really gain as much as I'm willing to invest into the relationship and into the growth. Mm-hmm. I can't really stand back and stand on the sidelines and hope that we create this really great relationship where I'm just like kind of over here and maybe you're do, you're doing the work or like we're just kind of moving generally in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that just seems so true to me. And it seems true that the other is also true at the same time, where if I'm not developing myself as an individual and growing and staying strong and connected to myself individually, then I can just get enmeshed and lose myself and not actually even really be able to feel super present in our relationship, even if we're doing stuff together. It's really cool as you say that, Bryce, because I just am seeing how both are so true. Both sides really are important. And if we're judging one or the other, if you're judging my side, the togetherness, or if I'm judging the independence side, it's just such a loss in a way. Yeah, and I think the pain is really inevitable. Like we get this question a lot, like, well, how do I not get triggered? How do I not feel pain? How do I avoid the conflict? And I think regardless, like pain life and in relationship is inevitable and you can just look at what you are actually doing to grow yourself and really trust in that Mm. because if you're in pain but you're also really learning about yourself through the process 
that is really what it takes for growth. But if you're in pain and you're not really doing any personal growth work, there's not a high probability that you're going to be feeling much better. Yeah, it's easy to just stay looped into the pain over and over. Yeah, to get addicted to the pain, addicted to the drama, to stay in the victim stance and paint your partner as the villain. It actually doesn't take a lot of effort, I think, to stay there. Yeah, awesome, Bryce. Is there anything else about our own personal experience that either of us want to share or about our relationship or anything you see with couples when you work with them? Yeah, what I notice most is when couples come in and they're starting to do this work is there's an impatience to like, hey, we met once, twice, three times. I learned a few tools. I'm trying them and they're not working when really it takes a lot of patience to play the long game. To really learn how to do relationship well, I think it takes at least a year, two years, three years, and and depending on how much baggage you have. And then even at that point, this is a life's work that you really need to be committed to. Um, It's not a small undertaking. So I come back to really teaching people how to be more mindful because that is the tool that's most effective in calming your nervous system so that you can use the tools. I could teach you all the tools, but you won't be able to apply them or apply them effectively if you're not able to calm yourself down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so how important it is to regulate the nervous system and be practicing mindfulness or meditation. When this gets activated, these core differences, that is the thing that needs to be worked on is the nervous system. You have to be able to regulate that to some level in order to do relational work. Yeah, it's counterintuitive to to slow down and and feel into what's actually happening, to feel into the pain Mm -hmm. instead of using the tools or the information to actually run away from it or prove your partner wrong. Yes. Yeah, and Bryce and I are continually working on that ourselves. I think we're continually being reminded of how important it is to slow down. Sometimes we want to move fast and make it feel better and get into a better place, but it's so, so valuable to slow down. Yeah, and I'm thinking about some of our conflicts where we might be driving or just not in a place where we're really resolving it and we're both, we will both just kind of stop. Or you might say, or I might say, I'm just going to take a minute here mm-hmm. and we'll sit for five minutes or so and just not speak until one of us feels resourced enough to say something worth saying mm-hmm. that, that might actually help. And that seems so important for starting to observe the judgment I might have towards you or your way. So if we are stuck in a core difference and I'm judging your way, or I might be judging me, like something's wrong with me, my way is not as good. So yeah, slowing it down can really help you to start to see if there's judgment towards yourself or your partner. Start to relax that so that you can actually go in and have a more effective conversation. Yeah, and for me, someone who's more of an avoidant attachment style, this is much different than stonewalling. Like, I'm needing to consistently try to do things a little bit differently and move into the uncomfortable zone. So it might be like trying to make eye contact with Jenny, trying to reach out and touch her, trying to actually breathe into my body and feel the sensations, not just completely shutting off and circulating all these stories about how wrong Jenny is. Mm -hmm. I really have to work hard to break that pattern and step out of it and like move towards connection. Yeah, thanks for expressing all of that. I noticed, Bryce, I really love talking about this stuff with you because we practice it so much on our own, but to be able to share it with other people and to hear you articulate like how you're experiencing it, it's just really, really beautiful to me. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I noticed that I don't always tell you the mechanics of what I'm doing in my head. Like, I'm just trying to do it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say, like, hey, Jen, I'm about to try to stop my pattern and say something 
that's going to make you feel more relaxed. But yeah, as I'm talking to someone else, like on this podcast, it comes out, yeah, that's kind of the background Mm -hmm. of what's going on sometimes. Yeah, it feels really special to be able to do that quote together. So I'm like, yeah, I think this really is a gift for me. And I just really thank you for showing up. Okay, so that is it for today. We'll be back soon. And thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, bye everyone.